2: Studio here is Ryan
1: Tutel and Coulter Nuanez. A pleasant Thursday to you. Hope you're having a wonderful day.
3: Right.
0: Coulter certainly is having a great day. How's that nail treating you in your foot? Well, it'd be uh, it'd probably hurt less if you'd actually play a good Creed song. Oh boy, you know that's like saying.
1: Actually finding a star that's cold. There's just no such thing. If you'd like to listen live, you can do so on the stream at our website, 1029 esbncom The stream is brought to us by Opportunity Bank, your local bank, your opportunity. If you would like to check us out on the podcast, well, you can go ahead and do that. Just search 2 tell listen, rate, review, subscribe. We appreciate all that. The uh, podcast is available thanks to Blackfoot getting that out there for us. And uh, Coulter, we had the opportunity earlier today to get on a Zoom call with the head coach of the Eastern Washington Eagle football team, uh, going into now his fourth season as the head coach at Eastern, Aaron Best. And Coulter, Aaron is a a guy who has been at Eastern forever. I mean, he played football there, and now he's been a coach there, you know, line coach, assistant coach, and so on, all the way up to being a head coach, uh, inherited a team that had had you know, as good a run as you can have under Bo Baldwin for six, six seasons, I think, for, eight, eight was seasons, It was eight with yeah, Coach Baldwin. Yeah. Okay, wow. Okay, there we go. But uh, you know, they they you know multiple uh, deep runs in the tournament, multiple NFL guys, multiple you know top five, top two, one rankings at times throughout that actually time nine year.
0: seasons under Bo Baldwin. Uh,
1: and so uh, you know, this is a, an outstanding program and has become one of the. Uh, blue bloods of the big sky conference when it's come to football, Those you know, you. Uh, and so uh, inheriting a great situation and really took that thing to uh, uh, another level, not another level, but kept it at a level that we weren't sure, yo, know, how's this going to go? Well, next thing you know, there's Easter Washington, the national championship football game in 2018, but from the 2017 season. And then this last year didn't even make the playoffs and had a really tough go of it, and at times played well and at times didn't. It looked like there was. I don't know if dysfunction is the word, but let's put it like this. What I, And he even refers to this in this. I think four assistant coaches from that national championship team end up being gone
0: right. in the offseason, going uh, and to that, different and that's jobs. A, and that's a battle that you go through a lot of times with success, When you would be right? good. Yeah, that's right. I mean, Jeff Schmetting, who was a longtime defensive coordinator, he went to Boise State. Mm-hmm. Um, Cherokee Valeria, who was the longtime recruiting coordinator, he actually jumped on Troy Taylor's staff at Sac State. And that's one another thing we talked about with Coach Best, too, is the – Eastern Washington footprint in the Big Sky right now because you have Troy Taylor at Sac State and a bunch of ex Eastern Washington guys there. Troy Taylor only at Eastern for one year, but he does have Eastern ties. Yeah. But then you also have Bo Baldwin now back at Cal Poly, and that place is Eastern Washington South. I mean, you got JC right. Sherrett, former Buck Buchanan winner, Nick Edwards, former All American wide receiver. You know, Paul Wolf, former Eastern Washington head coach. You even have Eastern Washington ties here in Missoula. Tim Rosenbaugh was Easter Washington uh, offensive coordinator once upon a time. But, I mean, under Bo Baldwin, six playoff appearances in nine years, a national championship in 2010, the last time a Big Sky Conference school won a national championship, and then three other semifinal appearances and a quarterfinal appearance, and then with a mostly his players, then a national championship game appearance a couple years later as yeah. well. So, Easter Washington, unquestionably to me, the team, not, not to me, I think they're unquestionably the team of the decade, this last decade in the Big Sky Conference.
1: And so, with that, a bunch of new coaches come in and it just felt like it was not nearly as smooth at times last year as it's been before. But, Again, the pedigree is there, and Aaron Best has been responsible for. I mean, he's the head coach that went to uh, you know the most recent national championship for anybody in the Big Sky Conference. Yeah, and so uh, you know a guy who's there, and and so we had a great conversation, talked a lot with him about where they were at last year, where they what they need to do to get back to that high level uh, this season, and so enjoy our uh, continuing series interviewing and conversations with Big Sky Conference football coaches. This one with Eagles head coach Aaron Best. Well, happy now to. Go to the Ragged Brothers RV Zoom line and welcome in the head coach of the Eastern Washington Eagles football team, Aaron Best. Coach, thanks so much for being with us. We appreciate you joining us uh, from the uh, from the office, from the house, and on the Zoom
2: here. How are you? Well, it's all the same. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. I always look forward to the opportunity. Well, we're certainly happy to have you here. We appreciate it very much. Just right now, I mean, you get,
1: it's, it's such an interesting uh, asymmetry this spring where some teams, Portland State, for instance, was able to start their spring ball in February. They got it all in. Other teams, like you, like you guys, didn't get it in. Some teams got a few practices in. How important is spring ball, and what is the, what do you feel like the loss is, if any, for not having
2: had it? Well, I think, I think that that's a, a question for most years. I think every, every coach will have different answers to that, uh, to that question, but I think in this year, uh, I, I, I think it's a moot point. I, I, I'm, I'm not, I, I can't consider pitting spring ball up against a pandemic. I, I, ju- I just can't. You know, whether you've got them all, some or none, um, it's the way, you know, like they always say, timing's everything. And uh, there's never good timing ever for anything. And so it just so happened it happened before uh, we took the field. And it is what it is. We all play by the same rules. And, unfortunately, uh, we don't uh, have the weather to accommodate spring balls starting earlier. So that's uh, where the chips fell. So uh, first things first, let's get uh, get out in front of this. It looks like we're doing some some good headways in nation to get over this. And, uh, and kind of, to me, in my mind, spring ball behind us at this point. At the end of the day, I think people forget that these, these guys are just, I mean, they're,
0: a lot of these guys are just kids, right? I mean, they're becoming young men, certainly. But it's an uncertain time for all of us, but especially kids, a lot of times that are far away from their families, far away from home. So how do you manage that? Just you know, just making sure all these guys are okay, just from a mental perspective.
2: Well, I, I think I think you check in in many different ways, Coulter. Uh, we do it via text, uh, via Zoom, uh, via we have, we have small chat groups groups built into our team from all different positions. So it's not just your position coach checking in on the position groups. So you're hearing from a different coach. Um, and so we started that actually about uh, a month prior to uh, us going on hiatus. Uh, we, we do team meetings. We do position meetings. We do study table uh, from, from a virtual standpoint. Uh, at the end of the day, I challenged our guys in three ways. It's, it's, it's different. We all know it's different. It's a weird, odd, unique, uh, I don't know if I'd call it a special feeling, um, what we're going through. We're all going through it. So we're all playing by the same structure and the same parameters. But the three things that challenged the the team and the coaches were communication, structure, and routine. So we've taken them out of the structure and routine of a daily life student athlete on campuses. How can you recreate some or most of that while you're at home um, or wherever you are? taking correspondence classes and so that's to me the biggest challenge is what are you doing at nine in the morning can you answer that what are you doing at one in the afternoon can you answer that if you can answer that that means you probably got some good structure and you're staying true to your routine you
1: know one of the ways coach that this has obviously had the greatest impact has been in the economic side of things and it's uh, kind of affected just about every everybody, either directly or indirectly, one way or another, certainly university is not exempt from that and you elected to forfeit ten percent of your salary or give that back to the university. How did that decision come about and and who did you talk to just kind of when it, when 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 you decided okay, this is probably the right thing to do
2: um, you know, talked with the wife uh, and and thought it was uh it was necessary she's an alum of the university, so am I. Uh, so, uh, the university means everything to us. Um, uh, you know, I, I just felt it was, it was necessary. I don't know if that was, uh, uh, out of character to do it individually or not, but I just felt I, I, out of the, I guess the bottom and the goodness of my heart, uh, and the heart of my wife to, to be able to say, okay, um, we're willing to make this type of decision, hoping that we can. Um, naturally challenge others in the nation, in the region, in the state, uh, friends and families across uh, the, the, the world, because this is going to be something that uh, obviously there, there's going to be, there, there's going to be months and possibly years of, of recollection after this is all done. So um, my former boss, Bill Chaves at North Dakota, uh, I, I learned a ton from him in about a year and a half, uh, being the head football coach as he was the athletic director and uh, one thing that stood out, he says, uh, uh, a couple things stood out, but he said, you know, the, the great ones adjust, and as a coach, be in front of everything. And so just trying to be, and that's the kind of world we live in. Are you ready for fourth down before it gets to fourth down? Uh, are you going to kick, or are you going to receive? Uh, you, you can't make those decisions in the moment. And uh, so we prepared for the moment for about a week, week and a half, and uh, uh, made, it, made it known publicly a week ago today football teams, I think that they spend more collective time together than almost
0: anybody this day and age. And it's such an interesting deal, right, because your players, I'm sure they're used to hanging out 10, 12 deep all the time, whether they're in the weight room or they're going to class or they're eating together or whatever, and now they can't. So, I mean, that element, kind of having that element removed, how do you continue to cultivate that internal team chemistry and and hope these guys are there for each other when they can't, you know, hang out 20 guys in a room and, and, you know, a steak or whatever it might be well
2: i i you know it, it's a great question colton i think i think everybody might answer that differently but if you've built the relationship up enough before this happened you don't worry about what happens after this happened so if you if you and it's it's almost like we always talked about preparation never panics so if you're prepared for these situations and we didn't know any no one knew this was going on if you built a good enough relationship prior to this happening you're not going to be fighting, scratching a clawing for that 11th, 12th, 13th person to join you because you know that bond is built strong whether you're next to them um, or a state or two away from them. So um, it's, it's trying, don't get me wrong, because it's different. And everybody doesn't like different. But different makes you make different decisions. Um, and we like to, uh, again, equate life to, to, to the game we coach and play is, uh, okay, so the offense just turned the ball over. The defense just got the ball back. So all of a sudden, two plays later, you're back on the field as a defense. Are you prepared for those moments? Well, that's what we do in practice. So we try to practice good habits in the relationship realm of things, and academic and community service. Uh, so then, if and when these things come up, uh, whether it's a pandemic or non-pandemic, we can we can get through them together.
1: Aaron Best joining us, the head coach of the Eastern Washington Eagles football team, and coach just uh, uh you know a year and a half ago you were in the national championship football game last year maybe not everything that you wanted it to be at times there's a little up and down some good wins in there and then some tough days when you look at this upcoming season you still have you know your, your great quarterback and Eric Berry you know anchoring things on the offensive side what do you look at what do you see your team and the optimism uh, that that would be there especially when you know you have had a lot of guys graduate the last couple
2: of seasons well, I think I think on the eve of any season, you're excited about returning players uh, that you've seen perform on Saturdays. Because you can't evaluate what you haven't seen on Saturdays. Uh, Sunday through Friday is a whole different animal. Uh, but when they've done a Saturday, you rely on those guys. I, I was excited and, and still am excited and will be excited to see the progression of some of those young DBs that were put in, uh, uh, put in the fire a little bit early on last year. Trey Weed struggled early. Uh, we moved him from safety to corner, ended up being a freshman All-American. Uh, that, that was a great uh, decision by our defensive staff collectively to make that move in camp. And he ended up being a really, really good one at corner, position he's never played in college. Uh, obviously returned a quarterback to his third team all league last year. Uh, so we bring back the third best quarterback in, in the league, so the coaches say. And, uh, and he's pretty dynamite uh, with, with what he can do with his legs, his arms, uh, and just his escapability, playmaking ability. Uh, I, I'm, I'm excited to see our defense take a big step this year. I really am. Uh, I think we lost a little bit up front in Keenan Williams and JT Tudely, and we had, we had struggles getting home to the quarterback, which then hurts the DBs because all of a sudden the DB's best friend is the defensive line. Just like quarterback's best friend is a great run game and a great defense. And so uh, I'm excited for year two and Coach Ennis' progress with that staff, some continuities as staff, year two as a staff, because that's different. When you bring four coaches in – it's like bringing four kids into your house. It's just different. It's going to take time. Sometimes you get lightning in a bottle. Sometimes you find that right away and it just clicks. Most of the times, it takes work because a lot of times you're speaking a different language or not the same exact language. So um, we're, we're we're excited what we've got coming back. I mean, we're uh, we're number one offense in the country, and people lose sight of that because playoffs. It's almost like the end of be of. You're in. They talk about you. You're out. Then you 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 you. There's only 24 teams. Um, to get a chance, and um, and so it's uh, it's it's interesting uh, how it all unfolds. Uh, but uh, no, we didn't meet the standards. We're used to playing beyond our Thanksgiving and beyond, and we didn't do that. And so we're we're motivated by the opportunity. But we had a hell of a hell of a winter session up to the point of uh, being uh, relinquished from school.
0: You mentioned Coach Enna taking over as the defensive coordinator. I know he's got a little bit of Montana ties. I think it's his niece, Sarah, she played for the Lady Grizz basketball team once upon a time. And they're a great sports family. A ton of the kids have played college football and college basketball all over the place. Uh, but what, I mean, what did you like just about him, uh, you know, and promoting him to the defensive coordinator? What did you think of the, the job he did year one last year?
2: Well, I think when, whenever you take, a, take something over, everybody, the magnifying glass is that much clearer, right? Everybody wants to know what you're going to do right away. Uh, just because you're first don't don't judge everything on the first rodeo, uh, you you've got to collect more data. Whether it's a player, whether it's a person, whether it's a scheme, uh, whether it's a situation, uh, more data we'll, we'll collect as we go forward. He he is a great football mind. He's coached at many different places to to grab a lot of information from a lot of really good coaches. Uh, he he was a great player himself. Uh, career got cut short due to injury that he's from Washington. And so he's one of those guys that that's kind of his, was his next calling after playing was coaching. And uh, he's, he's, uh, he's my calm, cool, collect guy on Saturday. So never get too high, never get too low coach best. He's always there. Just give me the eye. Uh, And we, we, we adjusted some things throughout the season. We got better as the season wore on. Uh, We just kind of got depleted a little bit due to injury, a little bit of bad luck and just a little bit got outplayed in some areas. Aaron Best joining us, the head coach of the Eastern Washington Eagles football team. And Coach, you spent a lot
1: of time coaching under some guy named Bo, who managed to go full circle now and uh, get back into the league over there at Cal Poly. How how interesting is it for you to have Bo Baldwin back as the head coach in the Big Sky Conference, and now you guys will be, you know, co-equals at some point playing against each other? And have you have you talked to him? What have those conversations been like?
2: yeah you know obviously working for such a highly respected man and arguably one of the best coaches this conference has ever seen uh, certainly uh, if not the one of the best uh, uh, the East Washington football's ever you know ever seen uh, we we we've spoken many times when he was in Berkeley uh, doing his thing bouncing ideas but you know i asked him head coach questions when i was just in the chair for the first couple of times but there's party part of him, a part of me that knew that sometimes you don't ask all the questions you want to ask and kind of learn on your own. Um, so we, we check in, we, we usually send an emoji or two back and forth, try to stay out of his, out of his hair when it, when it was hot and heavy uh, during the season, but wished him well the entire way. And uh, he did what he could while he was in Berkeley. And uh, now he's made a new home at Cal Poly, uh, San Luis Obispo. And, and we've talked many a times uh, since he uh, has taken over the program in mid-December, and uh, I look forward to the opportunity where we can shake hands of the 50. Uh, schedule says right now won't happen until 2021, so um, we'll see whose beard's bigger at that point in 2021 <laughs> uh, between myself and him. But he's he's, he's collected a good staff. He's, he's assembled a good staff, a lot of uh, Eastern kind of DNA on that staff, and uh, I think he, he's one of the most loyal person, people and persons I've ever been around in my life. Personal connection with Bo
0: aside, I think that uh, it was kind of a two-double-edged sword right when Bo returns to the league because, on one hand, you don't have to p- play a triple option team anymore. Mm-hmm. At least I'm assuming they're not going to be a triple option team. Uh, but on the other hand, now you have a, uh, just a wicked offensive mind back in the league, too. But just on the front end of that, not having to have that anomalous Cal Poly game land on the schedule every couple of years, I mean, what does that do to just change the dynamic of the league?
2: Well, I, I think I think when you say when, when you talk about the triple, the the offenses in this conference, it's almost like you're talking strictly to the defensive coaches and the defensive players in the triple because that's the one week of the year where it's like, okay, strap it on, you know, wear an extra set of knee pads, maybe a thicker thigh pads, you know, maybe some shin guards. Um, that I, I think that's where the weirdness is. It's almost when you talk about Cal Poly, you don't necessarily think you know, what defense they're going to run. It's an anomaly, you think, offense. So it's almost like as the offense is doing their thing, the defense is, you know, spend another hour or two every single night in the, in the office. But that hour or two, spend the office against a triple – may equate to an hour or two because Bo Baldwin's at the helm, not running the triple in terms of what he's doing. But, uh, you know, when, when when you have something foundationally as good as Eastern's offense has been, and Bo's been a big, huge part of that over the years, uh, but even going back to Tim Rosemont, Dave Telford, before Bo Baldwin was the offensive coordinator, where I was taking notes feverishly um, in the, the early 2000s, that, that what we do and what football is is blocking, catching, running, tackling. Um, and a little bit of scheming. At the end of the day, are you running hitches? You run a goes. Are you running slants? You run a curls. Are you running combinations? It's all a matter of when you do those things, not if you do those things. I think Bo does uh, as good a job as anybody. Coach, talking. We talk about Bo specifically, but
1: when you just look around the coaching landscape of the Big Sky Conference right now, the return of Bobby Howe, what Jeff Choate has been able to do at Montana State, what Troy Taylor did in year one at Sac State. Who knows what Ed McCaffrey will do at Northern Colorado, but certainly as good a football pedigree as you could have. I mean, this, is, this seems as strong a group of head coaches in this conference as there's been in a long time. Do you see that as well?
2: Well, I think it goes back to a couple of years ago when we were at the Big Sky uh, Media Days in the middle of July, when we talked about just the strength of the, the league let alone the coaches. This is even before some of these things happened where, you know, before Troy got here, before Coach Cho got that thing, uh, you know, uh, on the, the the train tracks pretty well in Bozeman, uh, before Coach Houck was in town. We, we talked about the strength of the league up and down. I think Coulter and I talked. I think there were seven or eight teams that garnered a first-place vote uh, via the media at some point uh, going into uh, 2018, if I remember right. And so uh, th- this is – now the, the coaches are kind of teaming up with the teams. I think the teams are deeper. I think the uh, teams have certainly recruited Washington more than they ever have. Uh, there's more schools in the state of Washington recruiting this state than I've ever been a part of, and I've been part of it for 20-plus years. Uh, and so that makes it more difficult, but that create, may create more parity, uh, but also more toughness, more headaches, if you will. Uh, I think there's a lot, lot to do with uh, that, and guys are winning different ways. You know, Troy Taylor had an offense and a defense. Jeff Choate had a, certainly a, a salty defense and, and you know, the run game and trying to figure out the pass game. And Weber's kind of won with defense and a run game and, and minimal pass game. So that to me is kind of the coolest aspect of these teams are winning different ways and these coaches are finding ways to do it. So uh, it certainly is a uh, is a gauntlet. The big sky is, is no longer, you know, find two on your calendar, circle them, and, and, and then the other six are – Will play themselves out. This is, this is certainly an eight game uh, gauntlet no matter who you're playing.
0: What do you think of East, the Eastern Washington footprint on this league right now? Because when you actually go through, I mean, Troy Taylor worked in Eastern Washington for a little while. He's got some former Eastern guys on his staff. I mean, Cal Poly's like Eastern Washington South now with J.P. Sherritt <laughs> and, and Paul Wolf and Nick Edwards and all these guys on the staff. And then Tim Rosewell, like you mentioned, spent some time. He's the University of Montana offensive coordinator. So what do you think of just Eastern Washington footprint on the league right now?
2: Well, I, I think. And a lot of those guys you touched on, were offensive guys. I, I think for for in 20 years, I, I think I, I, I would I would say, and that's just kind of I'm not saying that's who we are, Colter, but that's that's who we've been and what we're no, noted by um, offensive prowess. And you know, this 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 university started player wise as an offensive line university. I mean, you you know, you talk about some some guys that uh, won Super Bowl rings uh, that were multi. Year All-Americans that played in the NFL for quite some time, well before I got here, and that Paul Wolf put the footprint on it, and all of a sudden he handed the baton to me as an old line coach. And you talk about trying to, trying to at least scratch the surface of what those guys did, uh, and then it started bleeding into the the, the running backs, quarterbacks, wide receivers, and, and such. And so I think that's intriguing when these coaches come in because they know kind of what again the foundational roots of, of this offensive system is at Eastern, and then they put their own mark on it. You know they they they, they, they do what they, they they do what we do, but then they add their own stamp on things. Uh, but but collectively, you talk about those coaches that you name, um, and then you got Kyle McDonald at, at the University of Utah, coach of running backs. I mean, there's a lot of guys out there. Much like the the University of Idaho days, where it seemed like every staff had a University of Idaho guy on it at the FBS level. Talking to the Josh Fetters and Brian Strandley's on our staff, they knew everybody. It seemed like all those guys. Central's had a good slew. Slow coaches too. So we've had a good run. Uh, I wish them well, obviously, uh, when we're not playing them, but I don't wish them so well when we do play.
1: Coach, what do we look forward to this season? Just for you and your club specifically, what's the thing that you're most excited about in terms of, of the, the expectation on the field stuff for you in this 2020 campaign?
2: I would say the competition at a few positions, uh, the enhancement at receiver. I think we made a, a, a decent stride mid to late year. Uh, last year just wasn't real connected the entire way, but we got we got there late. Uh, I, I want to see how we come back as an offensive line. I mean, a lot of people, you know, put us through us to the wolves at sixteen. We came back with, with no offensive line starters and all of a sudden we're playing a bunch of freshmen uh, that no one's ever seen. And uh, and we made waved a magic wand and we got five guys be actually pretty good and a couple of those guys will uh, ended up being all Americans, you know, four or five years ago. Uh, that's going to be a huge part on of offense, is the receivers' uh, continuous progress and the offensive line who ends up there and how well do they play? Uh, and trust me, I'll have I'll have my eyes on that closely uh, from the offensive line perspective. Uh, but defensively, is just creating more turnovers and creating more sacks. Just we we play very very hard. We play very very energetic. We play very very well together. We just were off at times when all of a sudden we we just, it was a, a little thing here and there, but uh, my mom told me early on, don't sweat the small stuff. Well, that's what you sweat. They, they actually got turned around when you're coaching. The things you do sweat are the small things because that's the separating factors between a touchdown or a non-touchdown, between a first down or a non-first down before a stop or a turnover. Um, so I'm curious to see what that back end does, that growth they take, especially at corner. Uh, we lose a little bit of seniority at, at safety uh, but we've got to create more havoc on the quarterback we've got to create more turnovers consistently throughout the year
0: coach we'll get you out of here on this we've asked every other coach so far that we've interviewed from around the big sky give us a wild prediction uh, for what might happen because we know it's a wild league and it's an unpredictable league so say that this thing does get back to normal we do have a full season what's
2: something crazy we can expect in the big sky this year i think a big sky team upsets an fps opponent that's good that's very good. And it's been a couple of years since that's Yeah.
1: Happened. I like that one. I like that one. Coach, we certainly appreciate your time. Our best to you there in Cheney right now and at Eastern for for you and your whole team and the university and all that, of course. And uh, can't wait till we uh, meet again in a proper fashion at a football stadium somewhere at some point in the future.
2: Appreciate it, fellas. Enjoy.
1: Go, Aaron Best, the head coach of the Eastern Washington Eagles football team. Again, our thanks to Coach Best for taking a time out uh, earlier today and joining us on the uh, on the Zoom. We appreciate that very much, and you know, good to talk to Coach and get you know again. He's he's he is now at a point three years in, heading into his fourth season. You know, settling in. I think to the the head coaching role a little bit. He's been you know around Eastern his whole life, but that I mean, what could be more? Here's what I'd say. Even a place your whole life like Aaron Best has been, the transition from being an assistant coach to being a head coach is still greater than if you're a head coach someplace and you go someplace to head coach at a, at a school that you have literally never been to before in your whole life for any reason. Right, That's an easier transition to me than transitioning into the head coaching role for the first time, and everybody's got to do right. it a first time but it's i mean it's just i mean there. you know we've what the, what's the book 12 feet to the left when they talk about the you know being a or 12 inches to 12, the left right, right, right. uh you know being a new head basketball sure. coach and all that kind of stuff it's a major transition and he's getting to the point now where he's you know in that role and and he's firmly taken the reins for this program and we'll it's it remains to be seen You got a, a very good resume to this point, but also questions to be answered. And this is a big year for Coach Best.
0: No question. Two points on your exact points there. One, Eastern Washington's missed the playoffs two years, two out of three years under Aaron Best. But to me, it shows you. How important the schedule you play is, as well as take advantage of the schedule that you play, because Eastern Washington went seven and four in two thousand seventeen, six and two in Big Sky Conference play, tied for third in the conference, didn't make the playoffs because they didn't play the right Big Sky teams. Right. If you get the easier schedule, you got to win seven games. That's do. what it all is. Yeah. Just like Eastern last seven year, conference, seven games. conference games yeah. last year. Eagles seven and five, six and two in the league, but they lost to Montana and they didn't play Montana State and they didn't play Weber State. So we yeah. thought Eastern had the the path to the playoffs mm-hmm. even with thinking that they were still yeah we thought they were pretty good last year but not a, not the best team just one of the better teams but then they that one game can cost you secondly and though, they also had a bad lot right they lost to Idaho they lost to Idaho and, and, that, and that's what uh that's that what kept them out of it certainly yep. uh that that was um that was actually a non conference game that's
1: right. That was one. That was their, like their last non-conference because game. Because their their first before. conference
0: loss was the to Sacramento State, which right. was the eye, the first eye opener. Right, the first of three in a row. Right, because Sacramento State took apart Eastern Washington, Montana State, and Montana, yeah. in succession. Yeah. The other point, though, I think yours is really good one, and this is one where Aaron Bess is going to have to stay really steadfast. He has expressed to me in individual interviews and to us on the show multiple times that he is going to stay true to his identity. When they went to the national championship, they were, I think, third in the country in rushing yards yes, per game. Right. They were running for almost Great, 300 right. yards yep. per game. Yep. He's an offensive lineman. He's an offensive line coach. As he just said in that interview, he said, forever and ever and ever, Eastern Washington was an offensive line school. It was only the Bo Baldwin influence of the last 15 years, because he was the OC first, then the head coach, that really transformed Eastern into this, up-tempo spread, they all over the place. Most of their head coaches in recent years have been offensive linemen. Mike Kramer, Paul Wolf, Aaron Best, those guys are all offensive linemen. It's an offensive line program. You can recruit that type of guy. That's been the most underrated part about all their great quarterbacks and receivers is they've had all-American offensive linemen like Michael Roos, Clay DeBoard, Aaron Neary, you guys that went to the NFL that are protecting those guys. But like as Coach Best has said, he said, I'm not going to do something that's not me. When you have what you had at Eastern Washington for so long, on one hand, it's going to be tough and controversial to go away from that. If you're not going to build the whole thing around scoring a bunch of points and throwing the ball over the yard when that's what you've done, okay. But if you can get all the pieces in place, you also can recruit for his style in this state of Washington as well. So does everybody involved in the organization have the patience to let it all play out? Mm -hmm. We'll see. But I do – I think that broadly – It's tough and in certain ways maybe not the smartest idea to go away from what they've had so much success with the last 15 years. On the other hand, though, I think that Coach Best is right in the fact that you got to stay true to yourself. Can he replicate what they did with Baldwin? I'm not really sure. And so it's an interesting transition they're going to have to go through. It's very much similar to what Mick Delaney was trying to do. I mean, the Grizz have only had one losing record in the last 35 years, since 1985. It was the year Coach Delaney took over for Coach Flieger and he tried to run all those spread elements. Oh, by the way, his quarterback was suspended indefinitely, so that didn't help anybody. Yeah. But the next year, Coach Delaney said, "Hey, I'm 70 plus years old. I don't know what the spread stuff is. I'm, we're going to run what I know how to run because yeah. I need to know how to call the plays. Like we need to, <laughs> I mean, we need to run pro style stuff. And then they won 10 games yeah. back to back years. And so a lot of times, going back to what you know best is, is." Um, easiest way or I guess the the most uh, fluid way to do it
1: yeah I mean you, you you do have to be true to yourself uh but also I mean 15 years of Bo Baldwin's implementation did work out pretty well you know and so I uh, you know the question is how, how how far away from that do you want to veer and the biggest question to me in all of this is look at the lineage of quarterbacks that they've had now I understand Certainly. the wide receivers have been actually the actual high water mark for eastern washington in terms of the talent that they've had but their lineage of wide receivers has been absolutely phenomenal
0: and I mean, if you've played quarterback at eastern washington in the last 15 years you have won a big CI mvp and you've yeah. been a finalist for the Payton. that's right
1: and eric Berrier is the most recent in that lineage of he, he's he's he is to me as good as it gets in this conference as no a doubt. quarterback. I mean he is he is
0: which then in turn makes him one of the best in the country.
1: Absolutely. He's absolutely outstanding. He's also in his senior season, he's also not recruited by Aaron Best. Right. Recruited by Bob Baldwin. Yep. And 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 so I I will be very anxious, first of all, to see in his senior year how Coach Best elects to use him because he is as uh dynamic. I hate using that word because I don't know what it means. I guess I should use the word I do mean. He's as great a runner <laughs> and a thrower of the football as there is uh in, in combination in tandem in the conference and and that i think needs to be highlighted. I mean you got to lean on that guy's skill set and make it a big partner just turn around and hand the ball off. But also who's who's next or you know, who's up and coming and what do they look like and are you able to continue that uh, you know, within the constructs of what it is that Aaron Best wants to run. And, you know, that's only something that we'll find out down the road. But in any case, a uh, uh, fun interview. We certainly appreciate that. And good of him to, uh, to join us. We'll take a quick break. On the other side, ne- the late period National Signing Day began yesterday. So some rumors, some guys that were committed verbally have become official. We'll tell you who, where they went, all that kind of stuff next.
4: At Blackfoot, we're experts at keeping businesses connected to customers and communities. During this time, we want to help share our expertise with your business. From advising on remote workforce systems to assessing internet connections, we're here to help deploy the solution you need to continue supporting your customers. How can we help your business? Call 866-541-5000 or visit goblackfoot.com slash remote workforce to learn more.
1: To see you smile. Is
4: you this Shania
3: Twain? Alright, really we're gonna swing fists after the show.
4: You
3: we're swinging fists. I was close. He's married to
1: Shania Twain.
0: No. I no? Tim McGraw's married <laughs> to Faith Hill.
1: Ah, uh, Faith Hills basically like Alexa. <laughs> <laughs> now, if, now if people were not here <laughs> about no. a week ago. There, none of this makes so, any sense. Yeah, I mean, well, it doesn't make any sense anyway. Exactly.
0: But. I mean, if you've listened to the show, you know that five thirty is the witching hour. This is when it all goes to hell. The show's <laughs> over. Trying to navigate the last quarter of this thing. It ain't ever any good. Oh, my goodness.
3: I think it actually takes a significant upturn. Tommy, would you it's, agree? It's when you start putting my segments on the air. that That's when the gold that's comes right. to the surface. Well,
0: well, great. Let's get through whatever one we have on here, and then uh, it's all you, but Tommy. But wait. No, but hold on a second. Okay, reset it. Tell them what we're listening to. It's
1: two-tone Nuanas, 102.9 ESPN <laughs> Radio. Let me mute Coulter's mic so we don't hear.
3: You don't have that power <laughs> for buddy. the next 75 minutes. What do you mean I don't have that power? You're not muting a thing except for your own monitoring system in that room. I got all the control over you. When I shut off his mic, it doesn't shut off his mic? No. You guys, you can test it right now. You can turn him off. He can test it. You can listen back on the podcast, and I'll be proven right yet again.
1: This is discouraging. I've been trying to uh, keep people away from Coulter's gulps and gags and headbutts for the last... Three weeks in this place and find out it's all for naught, all that work I've been trying to do. What's the
3: frequency of the station? Which people are listening to? Tell a new one is on.
1: 2.9 FM radio frequency modulation. If you're wondering what FM stands for, people, <laughs> it's the number of peaks and valleys in a given space of time rather than the amplitude modulation of the AM, which is the height and valley of the peak and valley on the other side. What do they call those things? Oops. in any case 102.9 FM radio. That's uh, where you're listening to ESPN. Uh, if you're wondering, it is ESPN. It's Tutel New it. so We're on the social medias and we're as good on the social medias as we are on the air at Gus Tutel, at one oh two nine ESPN and at Skyline Sports MT. Do you like uh Tim McGraw? Oh, I love him. Really? So I didn't I didn't
3: know that you were a big uh, you know, country guy. Coulter's entire analogy in the second segment about Steph and Kobe and all those guys. That same principle applies to Tim. He's wow. so at the point of being the greatest country icon of all time. But he's never Above, gonna be Garth Brooks? A abo- oh. Ryan's right. I- I've I've never wanted to fight you more. I mean Oh Tommy, don't hurt yourself. Garth to- Brooks. Garth Brooks is the greatest. I'm saying this in total
1: ignorance, no. by the way. I, I, I no. only say Garth Brooks because whether, whether he's the best or not, I have no idea. He is the most famous. Like he He's the most famous I mean, Are you
0: kidding me? Garth country. Brooks is arguably one of the— I mean, he, with the exception of Michael Jackson and the Beatles, Garth Brooks is the most famous musician of all time. Well, no. Yes, that, that he, sold, yeah, he sold 165 million records worldwide.
1: He is not more famous than Michael Jackson. He I didn't say not that. More I said
0: he's the only person in the same breath as those than two. Than Macklemore. Oh, my God. You don't even know how to say his name right. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Again, it's just like Alexa. Uh,
1: all right, Coulter. Yesterday signaled the opening of the late signing period uh, for college athletics. Am I
0: saying that about right? Yeah, you got it. Yeah, April 15th is when the late signing period for um, winter and spring sports opens. So several players uh, have now officially
1: signed a- – National Letters of Intent and LIs, uh, which are binding uh, at the Division One level, and thus they have committed to go to the schools rather than what we know is is even a verbal commitment, a tweet, whatever. That stuff isn't official till the fax comes through, and it's official. Interestingly, though, Coulter for Montana, Cam Satterwhite
0: is still certainly expected to become official, but hasn't mm-hmm. yet. Is that right. correct? Yeah, I mean, so a lot of times these things roll in a little bit later. Uh, um, traditionally, the... Early signing period, which happens in November, is where most of the prep basketball players, particularly, sign. And then usually the spring signees are usually junior college guys or other sorts of transfers. Mm. And a lot of times this, the period opens, but because they're transfers, a lot of times even if I mean Cam Satterwhite very much very well may have signed his letter of intent, he's got to get all his paperwork for, through compliance and stuff like that. Mm. So I expect University of Montana to have an official announcement on that. Also, hearing rumors that the University of Montana is going to land a, quote-unquote, big-time transfer. Is that right? So we'll see. But two guys from Montana State did officially sign and got their paperwork cleared. Now, here's the thing. I mean, the Grizz, from a basketball standpoint, they're already, quote, over the number. Right. Right? Right. Jet Brasino entered the transfer portal today. I do not think he was taking up a scholarship, but he was on the taking up a roster spot. He's a walk-on. Uh, Kent Washington just spent a year with the program last year. Uh, so he's he is off the roster, so that opens up a roster spot. Okay. So then you wonder, I mean, so a lot of times this stuff is in flux too. I mean, you can, you can have 13 scholarship players and 15 guys on the roster. So is there a guy that maybe doesn't have a scholarship next year that did this year I, without actually losing his roster spot? Who knows? Are there some other pending moves coming? We're Not sure, out. but what we do know is that right now, I think Montana, if they were to add another transfer, I think they'd be two over their scholarship limit. Right. Okay. Uh, well, we will we will
1: consit, uh, continue to monitor this and and uh, and see what happens. This is, I, I'm I'm really excited. I I don't think I've been more excited to just see what the final shakeout is in an off season in terms of who's even on the full roster, and who the scholarship guys are, and who the transfers are, and all that kind of thing uh than i am for the grizzlies this offseason like this is really intriguing to me uh Montana State they also have a had a fair amount of movement and uh and and folks coming uh to uh to Bozeman they've had spaces they need to get filled for sure yep. so where are we at with the uh Bobcats? Well
0: Dave Spring signed a couple JC guys yesterday uh so Nick Gazilas who's a shooter a shooting guard six foot four guard from Humble, Texas uh, he played last year at Jacksonville College. And then Shabazz, uh, excuse me, Bilal Shabazz, 6'8 forward from Milwaukee, who played last year at Trinidad State, which is a uh, junior college in Colorado. Gazeelis, uh he's a good shooter. I mean, he, he averaged about 17 points per game, shot high 30s, about 38% from beyond the three-point arc. Double-digit score uh, in all but three games, and had 20 in 10 different contests, scored a career-high 30 points. And Shabazz, he's kind of a stretch four. He's a six foot eight guy, but he can play face in the rim. Uh, yeah, he Averaged twelve point three points, seven point six rebounds per game last year, and uh, he's also a guy that can shoot it from the outside as well. He shot about thirty seven percent. And then Montana State, they also have two other guys that were early signees coming in: Mike Hood and Tyler Patterson. There, they will join the program this upcoming season. Uh, as well, but they signed back in November. So there's four, and so I think Montana has one scholarship remaining, mm-hmm. so we'll see what Danny Sprinkle does to fill that one. What is Danny Sprinkle going to do to fill the point guard spot? Yeah, it's going to be an interesting transition, because as Coach Sprinkle said, I mean, we got you love Coach Sprinkle because he's so honest, but he, he told us on this show, he said, I already know that I'm never going to coach a player like Harold Fray. right. And, and so, you know, It's kind of like Bobby Houck said on our show last week. You don't replace Dante Olson by looking for another Dante Olson. It's just not that's just Mm -hmm. unrealistic. It would Mm -hmm. be foolish to do that. You don't replace Hell Frey by finding another Hell Frey.
1: You gotta do it by committee. And K I own said this very same thing about like a Bryce Turkey's like, you don't look for the next player. You look for how are we as a unit up front gonna replace the production? And that's the right way to do it. Yeah.
0: I mean, as far as what Montana State's gonna do next year, they have several I mean, Danny Sprinkle it seems like he's not really holding being a really small guard against guys in recruiting because Mike Hood, who's going to be their, their stud incoming freshman next year, he's like five nine, but he's a jet so fast. Xavier Bishop, who's a transfer from Kansas, Missouri-Kansas City, uh, the WAC school, who sat out last year, he can't be more than 5'8", 145, 150 pounds. He's very slight. Absolute jet, too. I mean, ridiculous speed. I mean he averaged sixteen points per game yeah. in the whack. at, at as at, at being tiny. And they also really Ahmed like, Adama isn't exactly a slow guy. No, <laughs> Ahmed Adama's a freak athlete. and he makes those guys I mean he he looks like a giant at six foot one compared right. to those guys. Right. And then he also they also love Jesse Owens, former Grizz hmm. wide receiver. They think he can be a really impactful on-ball defender as well. So I expect Montana State to probably run an incredibly up-tempo system next year. And now you have shooters that you're adding to the mix as well. So we'll see. I mean, they got Jabril Bello and that's who they have to build it around. But I think that they're also going to press a lot, and they're going to try to run up and down and run people on the ground.
1: Well, and I was that's the other thing I was going to say. The one thing that it seems to me is, is obvious enough is – it is going to have to be a different system in Bozeman than what it was when you can just put the, hand, the ball in the hands of a definitive point guard quarterback running the system like Harold Frey and let it all flow through him and from him. Uh, this is going to have to be, you know, uh, like you said, maybe a lot more up temple, maybe, uh, you know. That every team wants to move the ball but it may be you know hinging on the ball moving for everybody not a guy bringing it up making the decision and getting it started that way we'll see uh all all soon enough it's to tell new it's 102.9 espn radio it's a thursday it's very nice outside the show takes a very sharp turn up or turn down depending on who you ask next <laughs>
4: At Blackfoot, we're experts at keeping businesses connected to customers and communities. During this time, we want to help share our expertise with your business. From advising on remote workforce systems to assessing internet connections, we're here to help deploy the solution you need to continue supporting your customers. How can we help your business? Call 866-541-5000 or visit goblackfoot.com slash remote workforce to learn more. Tomatoes, touch
3: me on the apples, potatoes, the tomato sick, don't touch me, tomatoes. Oh Miss Fiddle, touch me tomatoes, please don't touch me, tomatoes, touch me on me, apples, potatoes, the tune sick, don't touch me, tomatoes, touch
1: me a face, me. Love Frank Zappa. It's two telling one is one of two nine ESPN radio. If you missed anything in the show, check it out on the podcast. The podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts. The uh, podcast is out there. Thanks to Blackfoot, appreciate Blackfoot for putting that together for us. Anywhere you get your podcasts, you can listen to Two Telling the Wanas at your leisure on your own time. You are welcome uh, to do just that. Colter, have you seen Joe Kelly? What Joe Kelly did, the Dodgers relief pitcher.
0: Uh, no, no, I have not.
1: Joe Kelly is a professional baseball player. Okay, doing the thing that you should do, right? He's got things set up in his backyard. He's got the target. He's
0: the guy that wears the glasses, right?
1: I believe he is, although he's not in this.
0: Okay, now he's got the tar- he to play for the Red Sox, right?
1: Target set up. I think so. Yes, right. I think that's the I, guy. I know, yes, who, yes. I know who he is. Okay, uh, he's got the target set up in his backyard. And he's throwing... It's one of these, you know, kick it back to you type of deals. Mm-hmm. But the the square that he's aiming at is, is probably two to three times the size of a traditional strike zone. Okay? Okay. But then behind that is the actual net. Mm-hmm. Like, in case you miss the strike zone or whatever, to catch the ball, it is... It's the size of the area under the uprights. Like, if you have the uprights of a football deal coming down, it's massive. He missed it all and broke a window at his house. Threw it right through the window. I mean, this thing is five feet right of center. It makes me so happy. This is like watching Tiger Woods top of three wood in the middle of the fairway, 80 yards down the thing. Right. Me too, brother. You know, <laughs> that's what I'm screaming.
0: <laughs> do, you, do you remember the, I mean, of course you remember, but do you remember the John Vandeville meltdown? Of course. Of, oh, uh, yes. yes sure, sure. Yeah. So my old man, God rest his soul. Wasn't a big laugher, but when he would laugh, it was one of the great things it in the was, world. It was, just, it was just Because he wouldn't stop, and he yes. had a high-pitched laugh. That's where I get it from. Yeah, it's wonderful. And, uh, it's one of the greatest traits. And when John Vandevelde's taking off his shoes, my dad's having full-fledged asthma attacks. <laughs> he's, he's crying. He cannot believe this is happening. On national television, this guy's taking off his shoes to get into the water to hit you got to watch uh, during this quarantine. I, I know you're not a huge Netflix guy, but you got. Oh, wow. But you watch there's a there's a docu series called Losers, mm. and each episode they never called me. Each happened. well, yeah, I know it's he, the whole premise is each episode documents people that were at the absolute height of their sport, but then they are most well known for
1: the failure. The
0: failure. Yeah. So one of the subjects is this guy. I can't remember his name, but he was a heavyweight. He was a golden gloves boxer and a heavyweight. I've champion. seen it. And and he yes. he r- r- rides all the way through the ranks. And the only three people he ever loses to are Evander, Holyfield, Riddick, Bowe, and Mike Tyson. <laughs> but everybody thinks he's this failure. And he's like, because he never won the heavyweight championship. He's like, right. well, you guys, talk about I beat everyone. I'm like 49 and 4. I lost to the <laughs> three greatest modern heavyweights of, the, of, of all time. But one of the golf episodes about John Vandeville, yeah. he's like, man, I was the best golfer in all of Europe and I was number one you know, in Europe and number six in the world, and mm-hmm. I'm going to win this British Open, and then I don't. How and much, my life is just over. My how, career is over. How much does it matter?
1: I mean, there is a level at which this matters. It absolutely shouldn't matter. But that he's French, right? right. Like, the, especially the American conception, and I think to some, except certainly the British. I mean, the British-French rivalry, which has been... Rivalry to put it lightly, obviously, over the history of the two countries. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but y- you just go, of course, the guy named Vandeveld is taking his shoes off <laughs> right. and not just dropping and, you know, like, what are you doing? This also, by the way, is such a commentary to me about the Nuanes clan mm. because everybody else on Earth is going, no, no, please, Lord, no don't do this and the collective hearts are sinking and the worry is skyrocketing meanwhile your father cannot grasp some air to take in he is laughing so hard at what's going on I mean, which might be
0: the right way to go i mean you wonder why i have so many bad golf habits because growing up golfing my whole life every single time there was ever a shot that you it was the shot was to go for it or to be safe and lay up go for it we're getting $20 bills thrown out of the golf cart at you, saying, go for it. Don't be soft. Here's another 20. Swing. And I think three out of 100 times I actually get it on collect, the green, and the rest of the time, I'm tin cup. Just, I'm hitting it in the water. Oh, oh! let's see it again. There's another 20 laying on the fairway. Throw down another ball. Go ahead and get yourself a Nine. Because even when it's not a fight, it's a fight. And you, you know, now finally at the Ranch Club, fi- finally the last two times I played out there, yeah. I had the courage to take my five iron out on the tee box on hole two. Yeah. Because I've been telling myself for five years, just hit the hit the five iron. <laughs> Don't hit it on the Mullen Road. And then inevitably, I get up there, and then Sean Rainey's talking smack. Ryan Two talking yeah, smack, yeah. and then someone's wrecking their car because I hit it into their windshield on Mullen Road.
1: Here's what I have have yet to completely get. When a golf ball
0: hits a car or a house, mm. whose responsibility is it? It's a good question. I know that, like at certain courses in Missoula, there in the homeowners association bylaws, it's in there that it's your responsibility if you live on the course. Particularly because a lot of times the houses are have been were built after the course was already there.
1: If you live on a golf course, first of all, good for you second of all it's on you if i come to your golf course i can't help it okay <laughs> I, i'm not trying okay but you won't believe what i'm capable of i have hit a i have hit a house that wasn't on the hole i was playing i'm talking about i'm talking about skying this thing over neighborhoods to other homes, these people, you know, there's the four houses that are between 180 and 300 yards down a fairway, and they're like, well, we better put a net up because we're in the line of fire. If you live on a golf course, I don't care if you're on a green. You're in the line of fire. You protect your—it's like the boxing, Coulter. Protect yourself at all times. It's on you. So I'm just saying— I don't think that it's the golfer's responsibility. Now, if you're driving down Mullen Road, heaven forbid, and a drive is 75 yards off course and coming down, first of all, it is dangerous. Second of all, I would say it is. I have never hit it on to Mullen Road, and I, you know, (laughs) I hope that that maintains. But I will tell you this: I've gone straight down Reserve Street numerous times Mm -hmm. at Larchmont. And I know I'm not the only one that's put it over the left field fence <laughs> on number six. No doubt. Okay? So I just think that, you know, I, I don't know what to tell you, man. Like this, it's a you know, it's a dangerous sport. Maybe you go and you take Brooks and you go around if you're you know, if you're that worried. Although the driving thing I do have more I that's that's more like look, man, you can't be expecting that you're, you know, driving now with bulletproof glass because you might drive by a golf course and I might be playing there
0: right yeah, I mean i don't I don't know man, I think that uh, in a perfect world, it would be the responsibility of the golfer, but then that's giving us way, way, way too much credit
3: Tommy, uh, how many times in your life have you gone golfing ever a couple of times, uh, twice how'd it go? really good, I bet I went with uh, uh, one of my closest ever lifelong friends, Wyatt. Yes, and both times it was like going to rain pretty soon, and one or both of us had something to do, and Wyatt, in his loving, friendly way, would he, both times he said like, "Well, since you don't know what you're doing, you should probably just ride along, because I've got to get, I've got to get this done before it rains or before you do it." <laughs> so I just cruised around, got kicked out of driving because I wasn't doing it right. This isn't a slab of Wyatt. What I'm getting at is. Both times I have gone golfing, <laughs> I got chauffeured around the course by Wyatt, fed Wyatt's IPAs, and watched him play golf. golf. Yeah. So I guess I have. Have you ever swung a club on the course? I have. I okay. have.
1: Did you hit anyone?
3: Yeah, I hit a, mean, a couple drives out there, whatever.
1: I one time was golfing, Coulter. I shanked a ball. It went I, dur- I this, this this poor guy. I drove. I, I it was not off the tee, but it was somewhere in the rough, of course.
0: Mm-hmm. And I shank. I just hazled a four iron or whatever. <laughs> and I rocketed this ball. Hazle is the greatest way to describe the things that you do with your long irons. Yeah, <laughs> hazle. I hazled it.
1: Well, I don't even know why they put a face on a long iron club. Just give me the shaft on that thing, and I'll try and hit it. <laughs> anyway, I hazled this thing. Between a guy driving his golf cart, between his face and the windshield of the cart, oh my gosh, <laughs> went right in between. And you want to know the best part of it? Because you know, my number one thing is I've I've never understood how you can possibly swing at anything but 110 percent of your full strength. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he never knew with your hiking boots. He on. did not know. He never saw the ball <laughs> to go. He just kept on plugging along. Oh it's like, goodness. man, you'll never know how close you were to. Be in a real bad spot. Me, me too. You know? Thank goodness. The golf courses are open. We can still do that in Montana. A lot of places you can't go golf. You can still get out. Maintain your six feet, people. Public service got to do
0: it. For everybody out there that is golfing, I would encourage you to walk. You can do it. I promise. But if you don't walk, get your own cart, yeah. stay away from each other. Because my buddies that live in Denver, they had golf, and now they don't.
1: They got it shut down. That's they got right. They shut
0: down. And so we can't have the, the state is courses. monitoring this, yes. This is my sanctuary. This is the only thing I got left <laughs> in my life. We have to stay away from each other. Boys and girls,
1: a tremendous Thursday to you. We'll be back tomorrow. Leon Costello, athletic director of Montana State, joining us. We'll see you then.
3: Back in 82,
0: I used to be able to throw a pigskin a quarter mile. Are you serious? I'm dead serious.